Welcome, everyone. Uh, we are back in our series, Knowing God. Think about where we were a year ago today. Actually, tomorrow, March 8th. Worship here at MVC was live streamed for the very first time a year ago. A year ago, I was preaching on Revelation chapter 13. We were in the middle of that series, and I remember asking the elders, are you, are you sure you want me to continue in Revelation? I mean, plagues are coming. There's a talk about the beast coming, religious and politically. They said, preach God's word, Pastor Pete. Keep going. Let's hear for our elders. That was a good call for the elders. The youth auction uh, still happened. It wasn't canceled, but it was much downsized. Uh, but Mexico mission trip was soon to be canceled. I remember uh, also that that Sunday we had communion. And I remember our, our deacons up here wearing gloves and masks for the first time and figuring out how do we distribute, how do I, can I reach to you? Do I have to have a, a super long arm? It was quite strange. Stranger still, the number of COVID cases in the state of Washington, this made all the headline news a year ago, had reached the number 100. Made all the headline news that we had 100 cases top the news. King County also announced that they were buying a motel in Kent to use as a quarantine site. What's happened to that, that motel now? Do you think, is that on their travel brochure? Come to the quarantine motel? I'm not sure that's still, is that still a thing? And so with the shutdown looming statewide and, and nationwide, our leadership had to pivot. That, that weekend, we were meant to go up to uh, Cleelm to the Kemp's cabin, which was our customary uh, leadership retreat away. We knew we couldn't travel. We couldn't even uh, be near one another, let alone sleep under the same roof. And our leadership pivoted. And I can remember that Saturday gathering together right out here in the hospitality room and us all looking at one another and saying a prayer and saying, okay, Lord, what do we do now? What's our response to COVID? But the one big question we had was, how will we make it through this emergency crisis and, and care for our congregation? That was our prime directive, how to care for and watch over and nurture the church. Many of whom are watching at home. Many of you were here last year, and yet I've gone around and introduced myself and said hello to some of you here and Connecting with people online, many of you are new to our community, so you don't know the backstory. You don't know the origin story of where we've been. Now, a year uh, later, this coming weekend, our leadership will gather again, again right out here in the hospitality room and then upstairs in the chapel with very different questions. The question now is, Lord, how do we relaunch? Lord, Lord, how do you want us to prepare to be sent forward into this new reality of ministry. And we need your prayers, people. Knowing God, this whole series of, of knowing all these ins and outs of, of God, and many of us have commented about getting, di digging deeper into God's word and understanding theology and having complicated uh, things of, of God being under, uh, understood and explained, and even more so, and this is exciting to me, the mysteries of God. Like someone says to me, Pastor P, I, think, I thought I knew the answers, but now it's just led to more questions. That's a good thing. That's, that's the right trajectory to keep asking those questions. But to know God includes knowing that God sends his church. 
And that's what our message is today. I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul being sent to the city of Ephesus. And we're going to really get to know Ephesus quite a bit because this spring and summer, our whole sermon series will focus on the letter to the church in Ephesians. This is their origin story. This is how this church began. If we had testimonies from some of our uh, our seniors, some of our pillars of our church, some of them here, most of them at home, they could come and tell the story of this church founded in uh, 1984 across the street at the elementary school and then buying this property and moving in. That would be the origin story that we would hear. Well, here we have the origin story of a church that was used by God to transform the known world at that time. Right here is our plan for relaunch. And so I've included in your bulletin, and it will be listed uh, online. I think Sarah's uh, helping uh, those that are watching online to be interactive. A little outline for our message this morning with four points. Four mission principles for a church being sent, in our case, being relaunched. As Rob has often said, let's come into agreement. We need to come into agreement as a church. Amen? Amen, Rob? Where's Rob? Do you know Rob Wood is going to be preaching next week for the first time? It's here for that. And David Miles will be leading worship. So yeah, that's, that's happening. It's, 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 it's been spoken. It's happening. David Miles has been practicing guitar for over a year. It's happening. Uh, thus, it's been said. That's, it has been spoken of. I'm going to get in trouble afterwards. Okay, no, but, but Rob is, is preaching next week. And oftentimes, as he's been leading us in worship, he says, let's come into agreement. Well, church... We need to come into agreement before we look at God's word, and even with the questions and some of us being skeptics and some of us being searchers, I want to invite you to consider the way in which uh, Dr. Luke writes this testimony, this account, this record of the church. And this is the word of agreement. That any barrier to our mission, any setback to community building, Any blockade to God sending his church pales by the comparison to God's power. Can we say amen? Yes and amen to that. Amen. Okay, thank you. I got one. Paul agrees with that. He writes uh, to the Corinthians asking for prayer about this ministry in Ephesus. He says about that power that can can push away and can, can have victory over any obstacle. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, A great door for effective work has opened to me in Ephesus, and there are many who oppose me. The Apostle Paul had reality in mind. He knew it was going to be tough, but he also knew that he had God's people backing him up, praying for him. And Paul will spend three years in Ephesus, longer than he spent any time on any of his mission trips. And with a small band of a brothers and sisters plants a church there that will be used of God to reach the whole province of Asia, transforming that region. Massive numbers of conversions, the social change, and in the course of just a few hundred years, the whole place will become Christian. So let's see how it happened. Let's see what God did. Let's look at the four mission principles for Ascent Church. And I'll just begin by reading a little bit, and then saying a few words, and then read a little bit more. Let's begin with reading uh, just the first seven verses of chapter 19. It says, "While, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior 
and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, uh, No, we've not heard of that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, uh, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul arrives at the outskirts of the city, and and the first group he meets, he meets a dozen uh, guys who say, we're disciples. And they're proud to just claim the name. Yes, we are disciples. Sure, we are. We're followers, which is great, right? He, he already got 12 and plus, you got beggar's dozen. That's really enough for planting a church, right? Well, kind of wrong. Because they didn't know what they were all about. He said these were disciples of John the Baptist who, who taught many things about knowing God. John taught many things about the coming of God's plans and the idea of being re- repentant, of turning from your worldly ways and turning to God. But, but these people, these guys, didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't know the Holy Spirit. They didn't know the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Pentecost. See, a prerequisite for being a true disciple is to be spirit-filled, to be born anew, to be born from above, to be born Again, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. And this group, although they claimed the name of disciple, they had no knowledge personally of the Lord Jesus. One of the most interesting aspects of my ministry so, so far here with you in Maple Valley is how many people I've, I've met who've come to our church who after the ministry here, joining a small group, getting connected and, and infused in here, have said, to me, or to our team, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I knew God. And then God's done a powerful work in my life in this place. We see this again and again. Transformation happens with this group of 12. A mini Pentecostal moment, right? The Spirit pours out, and, and, and he records that Paul teaches them, baptizes them, lays hands on them. They begin to speak in tongues, prophesying, praising God, and experiencing transformation. So mission principle number one for a relaunch, God's servants are radicalized. God's servants are radicalized. Now that word radicalized has just a little bit of a negative connotation, don't you think? Just, a, just a, little, a wee bit. But consider what it meant to be called a disciple of Jesus. Was he not calling them to radical commitment to the Lord? Was he not? Don't we see that throughout Scripture? To be radicalized, according to Webster, is to cause someone to adopt radical positions on political or social issues. Does not Jesus call his followers to be radically committed to him? Revolutionary, reforming, excessive amounts of faith. 
some of us are a little bit afraid of that word being a radical. We don't want to be too radical, right? But consider what it is that we're being converted to. The nature of that radicalization. Radical commitment to the kingdom of God. Radical love. Revolutionary service. Reforming justice. Radical self-sacrifice. That was the message. That's what stopped Paul dead in his tracks in Damascus. And that's what happens to these 12. These servants of God are radicalized. And to reach this city and to relaunch our ministry, we need to be radicalized people. The days of cultural Christianity are over. The days of saying, oh yeah, you know, I guess our family's Christian. You know, I mean, we go to church on Easter and Christmas. But yes, yeah. It's going away. That's why church numbers are reducing right now because cultural Christians are saying, I've got something better to do on Sunday. And what's being filled in the gap are those that eagerly want to know Jesus in this kind of way. Like, it says it here in the scriptures that these 12 were transformed, and later it says they were used powerfully. Yeah, I want that. I want something, I want something real. I want to experience that. And that's what it's available to us. That's what our aim must be. You say your disciples, yes. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And these 12 men are transformed. And what it looks like to be radical is love and joy and speaking of God in all these other languages. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this about his disciples here on the screen. John 7, 38 He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. God's servants are radicalized. You take a class for that? Who who, who does that? Some indoctrination? It's a work of the Spirit. Okay, let's keep going. Verses 8 to 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and, uh, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul followed his normal procedure. He lands into a new city. He wants to find his people, right? He goes to the synagogue. There would have been a small uh, community there. It would have been considered a ghetto at the time of Jewish people. There's a synagogue there, and he goes there, and it says that he boldly proclaimed the kingdom of God, the message of the coming of the kingdom of God, the ushering in of the kingdom and the king himself, Lord Jesus. And Luke records that he used reasoning and persuasion for three months. Paul boldly, confidently, shamelessly lifted up King Jesus. And how did his preaching ministry go? How did it go over with everyone? How popular was it? Not popular at all. No, the the numbers started to turn the wrong direction. People started walking out. Why? Because... 
there was a growing rumor that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And the people of the way, that is the way of Jesus, was starting to be maligned. The Jews were becoming stubborn, continuing in their unbelief and talking smack about Jesus. You'd think that religious folks who have it all spelled out in their scriptures, and they have here months of the best teaching known to mankind of what it means to know God, you'd think that some of them would change their mind, but, but no. Hearts were not softened. Maybe a few, but not very many. In fact, it says opposition increased. It reminds me that only an extraordinary work of God can change a person's heart and mind. So what did Paul do? What did Paul do when his teaching ministry was rejected? He innovated. He changed things up. Where did he go? Did he leave the city? No, no. God had sent him to that city. He wasn't done with that city. He doesn't leave the city. What does he do? He innovates by renting a public hall. Now listen to this. This is a place of learning, of sharing ideas. It would be the modern day equivalent of a school. But at that time, and there are historical records for this, there's this large hall would have been a place where people would gather uh, during the afternoon to beat the heat. In fact, they would have a wonderful afternoon siesta from maybe, say, 11 a.m. till 4 p.m. Can you imagine? There's no air conditioning, right? There would have been a high enough roof so that the heat could rise. You could find a little relief. We have records even, in fact, of food being distributed there for, for purchase and even rental costs. So Paul innovates to forward the gospel message. Point number two, God's word is proclaimed. Now, it was proclaimed in the synagogue to the small group of people. You figure there's estimates maybe of, of how many people would have been in that community, in that ghetto, in the synagogue, maybe a couple of hundred people. And the more Paul spoke, the more people just walked away. And so he changes it up, and God leads him to this public place where thousands of men and women and children are coming in and out every day. This is a place buzzing with activity, a public square, a public place where ideas would be shared. God's word proclaimed in the synagogue, and they went, and so he's, sorry, are we far enough away? Then he goes into this public place. We have records of the cost of, of rental there. So listen to this, get this. Kicked out of the synagogue, he rents this place for two years, 52 weeks a year, six days a week, five hours a day, Paul rents this public hall to teach and to preach, to reason with the Gentiles, to answer their questions, to debate philosophy and life and the meaning of life and who God is. That's 3,120 hours of FaceTime with curious people. He innovated to reach the masses. You know, last week, I introduced the concept of a hybrid model for ministry where we will continue to have a vibrant on-site ministry as we are now. And You can't see us at home, but there are a lot of people here, which is a very wonderful thing. But also, we want to innovate to beef up our online presence so that anytime, day or night, throughout the week, there's gospel content leaving this campus and going out to minister to people, to help them find answers, help them find community, help them know God more deeply, help them to love others more completely, help 
one another to live life more fully to the glory of God. Your leadership wants to innovate, continue what we're doing here, grow what we're doing here, but to reach out, imagine the reach that can happen. Years later, after this church in Ephesus is well-established, Paul writes this about, about what's happening there. He says in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, he writes, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What a humbling word. By every estimation, Paul's ministry by this point was a success, and yet, and yet he was in chains in Rome, and he asked the church that he helped to found in Ephesus so many years before, pray for me that I would continue to be fearless in proclaiming God's word. We need to commit to that and recommit to that, to what's taught, what's preached, what's, what's given to our children and to our youth. Okay, moving on. Verses 11 to 17. So God's servants are radicalized. God's word is, is proclaimed. Now God's power will be demonstrated. Verse 11 to 17. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some of some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, uh, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard, of, heard about, who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit within him jumped on them and overpowered them and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So number three, mission principle, God's power is demonstrated. How in the world do you think next week when we gather with our elders, do we plan for that? Like, okay, everyone, this, we got a good plan here. So someone, that's a great idea. Upgrade the coffee. Yeah, okay, coffee. And more donuts. Okay, do, donuts. How about that power thing? What do we think? How do we want, are you going to plan for God's power? How do, how do you get God's power to work? Prayer. Prayer, people. We need to Pray. We need to wait, and we need to witness what only God can do. And here we see, through the ministry of Paul, extraordinary miracles of healing, such that the Holy Spirit saw fit to imbue pieces of cloth that touched Paul could be used and bring massive healing, a touch of power. And then it says here, then came along the sons of Sceva. It sounds like a heavy metal band, doesn't it? Sons of Sceva, wow! Out of Finland or something, I don't know. No, but Sceva was the name of the high priest, and so they could trade on their, their daddy's name. Don't people do that, right? Well, but my daddy's the high priest, and I'm following in his footsteps with our ministry. 
that happens. These guys are traveling around and they're performing exorcisms. And we have no idea whether they're just a bunch of con men or if they're dabbling in the dark magic arts, but they are trying to exercise demons for profit. People are coming to them that are hurting, that are suffering, that have any number of physical diseases, mental diseases, spiritual disease, and they're coming to them saying, please heal me, heal my son or my daughter. And for a fee, they would say a prayer. And they hear about Paul and his success. So I think, why not give it a try? In the name of that Yeshua that that fellow Paul talks about, get out of this person. Until they actually run into someone who's actually possessed by an evil spirit and they get the snot kicked out of them. Which is kind of funny on the page and to think about, but it's, it's pretty terrifying too, isn't it? To imagine the scene. To imagine what power they were dabbling with. There's an important principle here that I want you to write down and keep in mind. When God's power is demonstrated through a localized expression of his people, the church, the evil one tries to imitate God's sent ones and replicate that power to draw people away from the truth. Did you catch all that? When God is working powerfully through his people in a localized area, here we are in Maple Valley, but you might be somewhere else in the whole world, and my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters, especially friends in West Africa that I've gotten to know, would express this quite often. When that work begins to happen, the evil one steps in and replicates some false narrative to try to suck people away. Paul knew this. He wrote this in Ephesians chapter 6, 12, because he lived it. He said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. People in our community, watching here, we're shell-shocked from the pandemic. Shell-shocked. No amount of stimulus checks can replace what's been lost. Families under greater stress than they've ever experienced. And not to put too fine a point out, as much as we, we love our teachers, we want to lift up and lift them up as heroes. So many kids have lost a whole year of education. They used to be we're afraid of what might happen if you don't study during summer vacation. We've lost a year. People are unemployed, underemployed, struggling. There's depression on the rise. There's alienation on the rise. Neighbors going to their own corners on a massive scale. And I think, this is my personal opinion, I think that there is going to be a massive void that will be filled some way when we get back to normal. I pray that it's the work of the Spirit that fills that need. <laughs> How many of us could say we've wasted this pandemic? And what I mean by this, when things get back to normal, we're all vaccinated, things are back, you're going to look back and say, gosh, I, I could have taken, there's so much extra time that I could have used, but now it's just back to the grind. 
And when it gets back to normal, and church is back to normal, my fear is that the spiritual void in people's lives will be filled by dark powers. You know why I preached last year, this Sunday, the sermon that I asked my elders, are you sure, elders, that I should preach this? I mean, this is pretty intense. They said, Pastor Pete, you need to preach God's word. Don't hold back. Thank you, elders. It was out of Revelation chapter 13, and I said these very first words, and they're more true now than they were a year ago. This is kind of a review of the series to this point. I said, we are seeing dark spiritual power at work in the world that's trying to destroy the kingdom of God and the people of God. The devil will do anything to keep you from following Jesus. And that was just a reflection on God's word, but I'm telling you those words are drop, jumping off the page because it's true right now. In order to relaunch successfully, we must do all these things. We must keep training people, radically committed followers to Jesus. We're going to see that. We continue to see that, especially among our, our young people to be unashamed, to preach the gospel, pray for spiritual healing, pray for the work of gospel, social justice, and reconciliation, meeting the needs for uh, the well-being and, and education of our families and our kids, and continuing all those ministries. But people, let me say this. Let's not be naive that we're not also engaged in spiritual warfare and think that because Sunday morning there's a program happening and there's classes reopening and events of gathering, that there isn't a dark force that needs to be prayed against of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I'm freaking myself out, but friends, let me say, revival comes by prayer. Notice what happens after this incident. Look at verse 17. Word gets out of this powerful moving of the Holy Spirit breaking down and destroying the forces of darkness and the dark powers that are being used. And look what it says in, in verse 17. It says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Can you imagine if that was our, our, our pitch to the, uh, to the whole community? Come to Maple Valley Church and be seized with fear. That's the sort of ring to it, right? Our new launch for the fall, seized with fear. <laughs> People are freaking out. And yet the name of the Lord Jesus was being held in high honor. Let's read the last, the last section, verses 18 to 20. It says, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they totaled the total came to 50,000 drachmas. One drachma would be a day's wages. So imagine how much money we're talking about. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Fourth and finally, God's people are transformed. God's people are transformed. Look at what happened. Now, the fear that we've experienced as a people and as a nation has caused what? Division, anger, Riots, fighting, and polarization. But the fear of the Lord brings confession and transformation. Who are the people that he's talking about here? Look at verse 18. It's believers. Many of those who believe, those who are bought in and said, yes, I'm part of this way of Jesus. They were the ones he's writing about. 
they came and openly confessed what they had done. My friends, God's people must be transformed. In every revival for 2,000 years, it's always started in the same place, in the church. Not in a street corner, not at yelling at your neighbor for their sign that you don't agree with. It started in the church, saying, God, forgive me. Forgive us corporately for what we've done and left undone. Oh, God, please clear away anything in our, in our life, in my life, that should not be here, that I might be used as a vessel for your, for your purposes. And in this case, it was witchcraft and magic arts that needed to be brought together, all this junk that was worth a lot of money and needed to be set ablaze. They had an old-fashioned book burning. I'm not suggesting that. We're not going to do that. But I am suggesting a prayer. It's the most dangerous prayer that you can pray or that I can pray this morning. And it's this. God, what needs to be burned up in my life? If you pray that prayer to ask God to find whatever's in your life that needs to be destroyed, burned up, turned to ash, it's dangerous because God's actually going to answer that prayer. Well, fine, that's the prayer you want to answer, Lord, because that's the prayer he wants you to pray and for me to pray. And that's what happens here. To open our hands and say, God, just take whatever's in my life that's not meant to be there, you don't want it there, take it up, burn it, throw it away. How do we come back from this pandemic and this crisis? It's right here, friends. Raising more of our commitment as disciples, boldly proclaiming the gospel, demonstrating God's power through the church, the wonder-working power of God through his people being sent out into their communities, into their neighborhoods, back to work, and God transforming his people and creating a testimony that you'll have to share. What will it look like? I don't know if it'll look like Ephesus, but I will tell you this. It will take all of us to make this relaunch successful everyone here and everyone at home that's part of this church, to be part of the sent ones, those that are sent forward to fill that void that's been created this past year. I can tell you upstairs right now, we have Sunday school for the first time for our kids, right? Praise God, right? Woo! Not childcare. That's actual discipleship that's happening. Your children are not just being watched and played with. They are being discipled in the way of Jesus. I asked Cammie, who's our, our director, I said, Cammie, in normal times, how many volunteers does it take to run KidVenture, all of our children's ministry? She said, it takes 70 volunteers. A centerpiece of our mission as a church, we are family. We want to reach the schools next to us. This is our Jerusalem. We want to care for young families and, and kids that are growing up. We want to care for families that are look many different ways. Maybe it's a single mom with kids. We want to care for families. That's what we're all about. This is the church. It's a family church. Cami, how many volunteers do you have right now for KidVenture? Nine. From 70 to nine. Are we a family church? I asked Sarah, how many volunteers does it take to be ushers and, and greeters, like to just be a welcoming, loving presence when people come uh, to our church 
she said, well, on average, we have about 100 people. A lot of people right here, maybe at home, you've, you've ushered and you can't come back yet. We get it, but 100 volunteers. And she can count on, on her two hands the volunteers we have right now, most of whom live in her home because it's her boys. Our tech team, our incredible tech team, everyone look at, at Mark here. He's been at this camera for a year. He lives here. He's here for everything. He's never missed anything. There's no one to watch this camera. Well, let's turn this camera on, Hunter. What happens with this camera? See, there's no one here to tell me to back off. See, we need tech support. Tech support! We need small group leaders. We need small group leaders. How are we possibly going to reach 10 trails in Inclaw and reach all the places where people are coming from all over the region? I met someone from Federal Way who says, I found you on the live stream. I want to start coming. How are we going to reach them and serve them if we don't have enough small group leaders? Now I sound like a, I'm nagging. I'm sorry. You guys do so much. I know we're all tired. But this is our opportunity to pull together This is our opportunity to invite someone back to church the first time in a year. Rob, why don't you come on up? I'll stop talking. Rob and team, come on up. And I'll end with this. Preachers always have something else to say. Got one more thing to say. There are still strongholds yet to be broken. There are yet more extraordinary things to happen in and through this church and this region And our sister churches, I love that David prayed for one of our sister churches in the region. The power is in knowing God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The power is in the outpouring of the Spirit upon his church. The power to convert, the power to redeem, the power to save, the power to radicalize, the power to break down walls, the power to heal, the power to love, the power to reconcile and transform. There's power in the blood of Jesus. We used to sing there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? The power of the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Come and do that work, oh God. Send your church with these mission principles. And may verse 20 come true in our time. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew with power. Amen.